formed in the spring of 2020, the Kalamazoo Valley Museum's Interpretive Hour is now on its eighth episode. Today, we will interview the different parties involved in creating this extensive project. We will explore the triumphs and tribulations. Hopefully, our listeners can then learn about the nuances of creating a museum podcast. Then, next year, in 2021, we will begin with new topics and approaches. This is our 2020 retrospective for the Kalamazoo Valley Museum's Interpretive Hour. My name is Jacob Wolf, And I'm Gray Wilson. And as mentioned in our introduction, today we will be interviewing the various parties that went into the creation of our podcast. We will begin by interviewing our project manager and supervisor, Megan. Then we will go on to interview our director, Bill. After that, we will interview our audio engineer, Josh. And then we will also revisit two of our former guests, Mara and Steve. Mara, who happened to actually create the podcast art as well. And then finally, Gray and I will talk a bit about our personal experiences with the podcast and wrap things up for you. We are here with Megan Osetic, the interpretation manager at the Kalamazoo Valley Museum, as well as the project manager over the course of the podcast's journey. Hi, Megan. Hello, Gray. Thanks for joining us today. We're just going to ask you a few questions about how the podcast has developed and your experiences throughout the course of that. So to begin our discussion today, if you could tell me before the pandemic, what was your experience and your knowledge on podcasts? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I have been a podcast listener for a number of years uh, in just, I guess, my personal interest of improv comedy um, other heritage podcasts, true crime podcasts, like everyone out there in the world. Um, yeah. And so, uh, I've been an avid listener and, uh, enjoyed learning, um, through listening. And on another note, going back to your role with our podcast in particular, from your perspective, how and why did the Kalamazoo Valley Museum's Interpretive Hour begin? As being a, an avid listener into podcasts, I know that there are other podcast listeners out there in the world, and that's how a lot of people get information. One of the things that I have done throughout my career as an interpreter is communicating to those who are not interpreters what interpretation is, particularly those at our organization um, outside of the museum. So we are a part of the Kalamazoo Valley Community College and uh, our colleagues there may not know necessarily what interpretation is about, as well as even within the museum field and the cultural heritage sector, interpretation is still something that is a little bit of a, a new concept for museum educators. And I was really hoping that we would be able to bridge that misunderstanding or open people's eyes to all of the possibilities that interpretation has. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great answer. And from my own, I guess, biased opinion, I would say that it's doing that quite well. Um, Moving on, you are one of the few people who has been around and seen the podcast develop from its original conception. And if you could speak to how it was different being the project manager of this program, like, for example, you never sat in on recordings, and therefore you heard the audio in its completion versus its progression. Yeah, um, I didn't want to be involved in the necessary um, recording or conversation and research aspect. I looked at my role as the project manager as more of a a podcast producer. So aiding with topics, uh, giving resources to both um, you, Gray, and Jacob for researching, connecting dots of other possible stories or narratives and community members that we could reach out to to explain what interpretation is to the world. Yeah, and so that's kind of a, a little bit about my role and seeing how podcasts like this and interpretation can be really organic between the two people, you, yourself, Gray, and Jacob, who are doing the research and then presenting those narratives to our listeners. Interpretation is really about taking information, any sort of information that might seem unattainable or misunderstood by people and connecting those stories uh, so that they can determine what is meaningful for them and spark curiosities for future education and future inquiry. And in this producer role that you kind of took on, did you have any difficulties in navigating the course for our podcast team, being that middleman between us and leadership? Yes, Jacob, um, I did. And I would maybe also advocate for middle person just because I do identify as a a lady. And um, so that's a, a good thing to put out there. And speaking from somebody who is in you know, listener of podcasts and, uh, you know, receives education through that mechanism. I know that other people don't always receive their information that way. And it's a little bit of a a scary thing to champion or or approach um, a new concept such as a podcast, particularly because the museum has not done anything like this before in the past. And really giving the autonomy to you two, um, Gray and Jacob, for taking concepts and narratives and doing all of the research and putting those stories together. And so that's a little bit different um, because the museum is generally really, I would say, sometimes cautious of the programming that we're putting out. And uh, the podcast is really pushing boundaries. Yeah, it absolutely is. And with that said, how does a manager such as yourself advocate for projects in the most effective way possible? So my management style is taking people's ideas and being able to champion those to my supervisors and to the director of the museum and for them to see the value and potential that a new program such as a podcast can really achieve. I didn't want to get into the mix of putting my own interpretive lens on the stories or creation. And so working with Gray and Jacob on what would this podcast look like to be very intentional and not to have too many surprises by our 
KVM leadership, the Kalamazoo Valley Museum's leadership team. So our first approach was figure out basically a big overall project proposal. Who would be on the podcast team? Whose role is what? So very clearly defining each role that all of you have. Uh, mission for the podcast and what exactly is the podcast going to cover as well as who's going to be responsible for ensuring that the project gets completed and getting out there into the world. So Jacob was actually pretty instrumental in creating that proposal that we pushed forward to the director, Bill McElhone. And I think that really alleviated a lot of people's concerns or just, you know, unknown fears because I am a true believer in in what we don't know does contribute to our fears and why adults generally don't take those risks or take those leaps and bounds. And now that we've kind of taken those leaps and bounds and are on our way with this podcast now in our eighth episode, how do you personally envision the podcast in the future as it continues on? Yeah, that's a, oh my gosh, I love that question because I just think that the possibilities are endless. One of the things that I guess I didn't say at the beginning of our conversation today was when I was an undergraduate student at Western Michigan University studying public history, I had a podcast of my own. It was mainly for a a class assignment that we had, and I just dabbled in it in a little bit, and it was my own interest. Um, Specifically, I'm very interested in connecting outside our natural resources and our outside world with our community members and how that environment, how our natural resources and our natural environment shapes who we are as a human uh, society and as a community. And so my particular interest was in fish and water culture and heritage here in the state of Michigan. And each one of our interpreters that comes to our team now at the museum has that similar interest of different niche topics. As you've already interviewed with some coworkers of ours, for instance, Wesley's uh, interest in heritage tourism and water tourism and natural resources surrounding ecology and that sort of thing. Each interpreter can do their own project, their own research, and then bring it to the podcast team and talk about that uh, as a collaborative project working together. So really, I think it really depends on a willingness of the interpreter and some bravery to come on to the podcast to share what their knowledge is and what they have learned to continue the story. Because as we know... Uh, what we know now is only what we know now. And uh, I'm quoting uh, one of my favorite local historians, Lynn Houghton, with uh, that comment. I truly believe that statement. And that's one of the beauties of interpretation is that we can always come back to narratives and stories when we know more. And so it just gives an opportunity to revisit you know, topics that maybe the museum have talked about before in the past, whether that is in an exhibit or a Muson article or maybe in just a, a special event that we posted. And allowing interpreters to shine through that, um, that development of their own interest and then spark that passion of learning forever and the curiosity for our listeners and for our community members. 
Yeah, I think you make some really great points, Megan. And I know personally, I too am definitely looking forward to seeing how things develop in the future. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Gray. Thank you for having me, Jacob. Um, It's been just such a joy uh, listening to the podcasts as they come out and providing, you know, just another lens and, and inspiration to you all to continue to learn and explore our world and share that with our listeners. To continue our discussion today of the production of the podcast over the past eight months or so, we have with us the director of the Kalamazoo Valley Museum, Bill McElhone. Hi, Bill. Hi, Gray. Hi, everyone. To begin our discussion today, if you could speak to your experience and knowledge on podcasts before the pandemic and before the advent of this project. Well, that's a great question. I have become a, I'll just share in advance, I've become a greater consumer of podcasts since the pandemic. Um, It's just... uh, an opportunity that we've had a lot more time and then just looking for other outlets for seeking information. So, but my knowledge of podcast really quite limited other than it's just a opportunity to share materials that other organizations were doing, news outlets, uh, authors, but really as a personal consumer of podcasts, it really wasn't in my wheelhouse until uh, this pandemic. Considering that perspective that you had before, that kind of beginner's kind of approach to uh, podcasting and not really having a lot of knowledge on it, from a director's perspective, what did you initially think of us having a museum podcast? Well, first of all, I thought it was a, it was a great idea and I commend the team for coming up with an idea, especially, uh, and I'll admit that before the pandemic, this probably would have been an idea that would have been set aside or put on the back burner simply because of all the forward-facing engagement that we do at a hands-on museum. But one of the things that came out of, uh, one of the positives uh, out of the pandemic with, you know, I, and I don't want to diminish uh, what the pandemic is, it is and what it has done, but uh, is this opportunity to get uh, very innovative and can reconsider the way we operate and the way we share information. So initially, when the, the idea was broached, you know, it was a good one. And I don't know who, uh, if it was this group, this trio that came up with the idea, but uh, certainly well worth exploring. And I would say that, that you guys showed not only the creativity and the innovation and wanting to pursue a podcast for the Kalamazoo Valley Museum, but also great patience because working in a public institution and the way we're funded requires that, you know, great ideas. We just can't turn on a dime and say, let's pursue it. So, so great patience there. Um, and much appreciated. I know that Megan also was, uh, champion the the idea as well. So many people had uh, a hand in this uh, process. And so it should be celebrated that uh, kudos all around for the trio here today, but also for others who have been involved in creating our podcast. Yeah, I absolutely agree. 
I think everybody deserves proper recognition in the fact that we've, in such a short span of time, created something that is, in my opinion, of course, so cool. But moving on a little bit, how would you recommend in the context of another museum that the staff approach pitching their own podcast to their director? Well, I've done some researching when this first came up, you guys, um, the idea and then looking at other museums and what they've done. And some based uh, art museums should certainly just focus on podcasts on their art, looked at other history museums, and they're, again, looking at objects and maybe some more storytelling along the lines of what their collections represent. So I would encourage other institutions that continue to do the sharing, the interpretation, using this medium to help reach a larger audience. Obviously, this creates greater accessibility since we're physically not open. It also creates a 24-7 access too. Just like the internet or our website creates content access 24-7, this is just another way for that delivery to occur. Now that the podcast is up and running and we're currently recording our eighth episode, you know, after having listened to all of the different episodes we've had and seen its impact and just in its initial uh, few months of release, how do you think this project impacted the vision of the museum as a whole? And you kind of touched on this already a bit, but just more specifically. You know, I think, again, uh, the COVID opportunities, I don't want to overuse that, but, you know, we're rethinking how the museum operates, how it delivers its content. I do believe that this is not going to be a one-and-done project or once we come out of the pandemic. I believe that we're going to continue to want to create parallel programs or processes where we are continuing to deliver online content along with our in-person experiences and create other enhancements that we probably even haven't even recognized yet. But this is... Um, Again, just opening the door to many other possibilities. And then we talk about the theme on interpretation. This is just another tool that uh, we are seeing work. And um, I did want to make sure that when I talk about access, I wanted to make sure that, you know, the transcriptions also done for our podcasts are very important too, just for those listeners who maybe don't have the best hearing or are deaf, they have an opportunity to actually read content and be able to enjoy the information, the storytelling that uh, you guys have put together. Yeah. And with all that being said, to sort of wrap up our discussion here today, how do you envision the podcast developing in the future? Well, I'll admit when you guys first approached, I was wondering if the theme on interpretation, as I initially visualized from the description, I thought might be a little limiting. But then as I've listened to, well, yesterday I listened to the Planetarium podcast again uh, as a refresher, but I realized that the universe, and to use it across analogy to the Planetarium, it disguised the limit literally for moving forward on what content and subject matters can be covered. The way that you guys have presented it, I love the context building, the sort of historical background that's being presented, and then along with very specific questions that do circle back to the idea of what is interpretation. So 
It's amazing. So I, I see it's an opportunity for us to continue to do this type of uh, information sharing. I think that we'll create greater accessibility to a larger audience, uh, obviously well beyond those that can physically uh, be here in Kalamazoo to visit the museum, but certainly uh, start to see audiences from a worldwide perspective. I agree. So it'll be very exciting to see how everything develops in the future. Thanks so much for joining us today, Bill. My pleasure and kudos to all of you and everyone else involved in getting this podcast launched. Now on today's episode, we have um, someone who you don't really get to hear a lot from, but who's been with the podcast since the get-go. His name is Josh, and he's our audio engineer. And uh, he's the voice you can hear at the beginning of episodes with content warnings and the end of episodes with each of our outros. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Hello. Thanks for uh, having me on uh, this end of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a new role. So uh, we're just going to get right into it for you then and ask you uh, the same question we've been asking everyone. And that's before the pandemic, what was your experience with and knowledge on podcasts? You know, it's the 2000s, 2010s, and uh, we're all bored. And so like any average person, I do listen to a podcast or two, you know, and I have for a long time. You know, it's a good um, passive form of like socialization in a way to be able to sit and listen to people talk, and, and, but not have to do any interaction yourself. It's kind of like hanging out with people without having to be social. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, 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 I tend to like podcasts that are people sitting around goofing off together comedy podcasts and stuff that are just very organic, you know, it, it, I'm a big podcast fan. <laughs> I hear you. Okay. So plenty, plenty of a background. <laughs> yeah. Aside from listening to podcasts, what is your background in recording? Just any audio recording in general? Yeah. So I've been a musician for, oh Lord, 24 years now, something like that. And, um, I, I started experimenting with writing music and, and recording at home, I would say around the year 2000 or so with, with a copy of uh, cakewalk guitar studio, which was not good software, but it was like one of the more affordable ones. Since then I learned how to use Cubase and, and uh, Reaper as well. I've spent a lot of time learning how to record and mix and master music over the course of the past like 20 years or so self-taught i probably should have gone to school for it in retrospect i went to school for painting and really kind of wish that i would have gone to school for audio engineering in retrospect but there's youtube now and you can learn a lot that way and it's it's been really helpful primarily i my experience is in recording mixing and mastering music but taking on this podcast has been a great lesson you know I, that's part of why i wanted to do it and jumped on it as soon as you guys said that you were doing it because it was an opportunity to learn how to work with a different take on audio it's not necessarily something that's like you're sitting you know recording an isolated guitar track or something it's it's something more organic but more problems arise and and different audio sources, you know, have to come together and stuff. And so it's, it's been an awesome big lesson that's expanded my knowledge base. Right. And, 
and expand on those lessons. Um, what was the recording process specifically for a podcast like? How was it unique compared to your other experiences, your 20 some years of experiences? Yeah, yeah. So, th- I mean, this has been a really odd experience because of the pandemic <laughs> and because, you know, the three of us like actually haven't sat in a room and recorded together, which is super out of the ordinary for, for something like this. So it, it took a lot of like brainstorming, like how to make this work organically and, and to come up with a workflow um, because we can't, you know, do things take by take, you know, if somebody like stumbles over their words or something like that. It's not so easy to just like pause the recording back up and, and do it again or something like that. And so just having to record raw audio that's, you know, all the takes in one long go and then cut out all the mistakes and stitch them together. And instead of, like I said, like normal, like take by take, don't keep all the bad takes uh, like you would if you're like recording a, a vocal singing track or something and you'd like sing off key and then you stop back up and do it again. And and the other thing about it is various audio sources that aren't necessarily as as isolated and, you know, more background noise to to worry about various qualities of audio to figure out how to repair or or eq there are a lot of challenges that come with doing things this way because it, it's not such an isolated thing and, you, and you're getting a mixed bag of audio <laughs> from from various sources to figure out how to manage yeah i mean i can definitely see how that would be the case but considering we're recording what podcast episode eight now it seems like you have done a great job of making yourself very comfortable with uh the new techniques and methods to this type of recording but to take us a step back um as we briefly mentioned you've been a part of this process since its conception and could you speak a bit more to what it was like to be a third party through the whole podcast recording process it's been interesting to see how ideas form and and how you guys work through how to elaborate on something. Because a, a lot of what we're doing, you know, there's a lot of planning that goes into it. But then in in the end form, there are final decisions that, that need to be made on like how to address certain things, especially with like more sensitive topics and stuff that, that we sometimes talk about. Uh, you know, when we talk about social injustices and things like that, sometimes we really have to think, or you guys really have to think hard about like, okay, how do I really want to say this? And so it's, it's been interesting to see the, those decisions being made to really hone in on how to address content and, and how to make it uh, the best that it can be in those final decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely how we feel about uh, elaborating on issues like that. And we'll get a bit more into that later. And overall, throughout this whole process, whether we're uh, thinking of your position as a spectator or uh, as an audio engineer or as someone who played roles in the uh, management of the project and coordination of recordings and releases and all of the stuff that went into this podcast. Um, were there any major frustrations that you had throughout the process? Uh, Gray's headphone mic. Uh, 
in the first few episodes. I'm sorry, Gray. So we're back on this. Back on that topic. Um, plosive edits uh, that uh, couldn't necessarily be completely repaired were, were a source of frustration. You know, that was a huge lesson to learn how to handle plosives the, the best that you can when they like really can't be completely fixed, which plosive editing is something that like I, I know how to do, but like you don't do as much of it when you're editing like a singing vocal track as you would like an hour long track of, of somebody talking. There's just so much more of it because there's there's more voice happening, you know, in, in, in an hour than like, you know, how much singing is in a, a, a five minute song or something like that. Also, you know, a singer is projecting more and tends to be further away from the mic. Whereas like when you're just sitting here talking, you tend to, to want to be closer to the mic uh, because you're speaking softer. There, there are a handful of, you know, things like that that are just like the lessons that, that I've learned in, in podcast editing as opposed to, you know, recording and, and uh, mixing music. That, again, it's the reason that, that I wanted to do this to expand that knowledge base. Yeah, definitely. I mean... I can certainly attest to the fact that it has involved a learning curve. To wrap up our discussion with you here today, um, how do you envision the podcast developing in the future? I would hope that this is going to continue to grow even beyond what we do with it, you know, because we likely won't be here at the museum forever, probably move on to other jobs, so on and so forth in due time. But even before, that's the thing, you know, seeing it grow while we're, we're still here and, and more involvement from outside sources, you know, more guests from within the museum, more guests from outside of the museum, so that there's a large community discussion going on. I think that's the cool thing about a platform and a medium like this is that it can create a really large discussion that can then be very easily and freely broadcast to an extremely large worldwide audience. And having the potential for that local Kalamazoo community discussion being had between those of us at the museum or local community members, having that reach worldwide, you know, to whoever might be curious about what we have to say is a really cool thing. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, you know, we've set ourselves up to uh, continually grow. And then hopefully when we're no longer with the museum, uh, our uh, peers and supervisors and all the other people involved in this project or who will be involved in the project can uh, let it continue on and flourish. So with that, we'll end uh, today's little interview with you. Thank you for coming on, Josh. Thanks for having me. All right, and our next guest today is Mara. Mara is the artist for our podcast artwork and was also a special guest on our episode about planetariums. And we're going to ask you a few questions, Mara, about your experience with the podcast. So our first question is, before the pandemic, what was your experience with and knowledge on podcasts? Before my experience with the Kalamazoo Valley Museum podcast, uh, I've always been an avid consumer of podcasts. I like uh, murder mystery podcasts, things about lore and unusual stories. I think podcasts are sort of the evolved version of talk shows and audiobooks if they like combine together to create one thing. 
So podcasts are excellent. Very nice. And um, what was your process in creating the artwork for our podcast? Like what sorts of problems did you confront with marketing over the course of the creation of our logo? And how did you overcome things like that? So in creating the artwork for your podcast, um, we kind of did a back and forth approach where I took feedback from your end to see exactly what you had in mind and then kind of mixed that with a bit of research on other podcasts to see how other artists approach the same thing since this particular podcast didn't want to just showcase a logo but wanted to showcase the faces behind the podcast. That was a bit of why the podcast logo ended up having portraits instead of just a symbol or some sort of symbolism in it. As far as marketing goes, it's always a little bit difficult to know what a corporate entity is okay with and what they're not okay with, especially if you're not on their marketing team. So there was a bit of convincing um, on my end with administration and marketing before the final logo was approved as there was a bit of conflict about it showcasing people versus a logo, but we got through it. We surely did. And to hop over to the next question about your role in the podcast, you also sat in a large amount of our meetings on a weekly basis. How does that influence your perspective on the podcast if it does? Actually, it was it was really fascinating to be a part of those meetings because I got to see the structure of the podcast come together in a really unique way. I really enjoyed watching the process and watching everybody have a bit of discourse on the side of the final recording. It was fun to see how many people come together to create something and how many elements it takes to create one episode. I feel very lucky to have been able to be a part of those meetings uh, just because it gave me a really unique insight. So now when I'm listening to other podcasts, I'm usually thinking about how many people might be in the room while they're recording or how much effort goes into editing them. Or It just gives me a really cool perspective. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would be the case. And with that being said, what was it like transitioning from a third-person perspective into a guest role on the podcast? Yeah, being asked to do a... Uh, an interview for the podcast was a bit nerve wracking only because I think I was overthinking it. Watching everybody come together to put the podcast together. People pause a lot. People make a lot of mistakes communicating and coming at it from a perfectionist mentality. I didn't want to make it more difficult or, or make too many mistakes, but I realized it's, it's fine. You're really just having a conversation with other people and it's being recorded. It's not really any more complicated than that. So I guess there was a bit of nervousness, but now I, I realize that it's it's very fine. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. So you've been working for the museum for a long time. And as a long-term employee, how did projects of this caliber go in the past if there were any? Well, when I first came to the Kalamazoo Valley Museum, it was a bit on a fluke. Um, I was offered the the job, well, not offered the job, but offered the option to apply for the job when I was a barista and I was serving someone who worked there. They said they were looking for more employees. Uh, That was six years ago. So time flies. Watching the museum interpreter role evolve over that past six years has been a bit of a trip. Uh, We went from 
really being restricted to very specific roles and educational programs to almost evolving with the needs and times of the community. The general patronage when I first started, kind of a different age. Like we, a lot of our school children were older and a lot of our younger, younger. So we had very, very little children and then middle school and high school age kids mostly. So I watched the museum staff evolve their duties around what was needed by the community. And I think that's really, really awesome. And of course, going into a national crisis where a lot of people are working from home, it was, it's really interesting to see how our roles have evolved uh, to meet the needs of people who can't come in anymore. So I think the podcast is just sort of a beautiful and natural evolution of that process. And I kind of wish we could keep doing it all the time. So I hope uh, the podcast is something that continues moving forward. Yes, certainly. And to sort of wrap up today's discussion with you, how do you see a project like the podcast moving forward into the future? Well, um, in the future, I would like to see the podcast obviously continue. I would love it if our museum was able to reach out to other institutions that might have their own podcast going on or their own uh, radio shows to see some discourse between the hosts and those different spaces. I would love to see local community members who are parts of different organizations interviewed. I would love to see where this goes because as interpretive staff, the one thing that we do best is interpret. And we interpret the needs of our community and we interpret uh, the way and the state of the world and the needs of that world as well. So I would love to see moving forward where this ends up going. Yeah, well said. Um, Thank you for coming on the podcast, Mara. We also have with us here today the theater and planetarium technologist at the Kalamazoo Valley Museum, Steve Crawford. To start our conversation is a simple question, and that is, before the pandemic, what was your experience and your knowledge regarding podcasts? Well, I certainly listen to a lot of podcasts, both about space and astronomy and also all sorts of other topics. So I would say reasonably well-informed of, of podcasts. And while I have never recorded a podcast myself, I definitely have some knowledge of the, the process of producing uh, for audio, given that it is a part of my job in a way, though obviously not, not this podcast, but audio and video production. And with that said, how does an interview recording compare to your experiences in recording other types of audio? Like, what are the challenges or perhaps the merits that are involved? Certainly, recording for audio only can be a lot easier than recording video and audio because there's a lot less to keep track of, not needing any video. But recording audio remotely can be very tough given that people generally do not have much experience with microphones or audio recording equipment or that sort of thing. So I would imagine recording a guest uh, that is unfamiliar with audio technologies could be pretty challenging. And it seems like that's something that is, uh, is very important for podcasts in general, but also certainly podcasts and any other sort of interview format that's being done this year. 
Yeah, I remember when we were beginning to think about how we would have guests remotely on our podcast who didn't have any audio experience, you know, how would that look like? What would that look like? And we we ended up creating this really uh, comprehensive audio guide that our audio engineer, Josh, put together that guided people throughout that process. And that's ultimately how we navigated it. But it was definitely a concern early on because, uh, you know, we can't be interviewing people in person. So our next question for you is regarding actually your background as an interpreter. So during our podcast episode on planetariums, which you were a guest on, you took the perspective primarily as a uh, planetarium and theater technologist. However, uh, how did having a background as an interpreter impact your experience now that it is no longer your core position, but it's something that uh, you've worked in before? Talking about the planetarium is really, I suppose, very similar to talking about any exhibit in the museum, you know, trying to put things into terms that uh, a lay person with no experience in the planetarium would understand and trying to make it interesting and compelling. And really, my biggest focus would be trying to inspire or encourage people to learn more about things to get people curious about the planetarium or in other contexts, uh, any other museum exhibit. Yeah, definitely. And to sort of wrap up today's discussion with you, clearly the podcast is novel in the eyes of the museum and the concern about many of these projects that have been birthed in the wake of the COVID crisis is the longevity of them. And with that said, how do you envision something like the podcast developing in the future? Well, I would say it will certainly be easier to record something like this in the future, in a future that is where people are able to be in close contact for extended periods of time, you know, in a recording booth in the museum, for example. I also think that some of the collaboration required to produce a project like this will be easier in the museum in person whenever we're able to do that. But I would say there's an additional challenge in that many of the people involved in its production will have other, other duties that have somewhat been put on hold. Uh, so obviously, as interpreters at the museum, your primary job really is to act as interpreters on the floor and staff the museum. And if you are doing that for the bulk of your time, you're, of course, going to have less and less time for projects like this. But that's really something, I suppose, for decision makers to put together and evaluate the uh, importance of a project like this and the, the time that it can take. I would also say that I think this experience, the experience of the pandemic, has really shown how valuable it is to have virtual or digital content available for the community. The podcast would be one example of that. Others like the virtual Star Talks, the remote Star Talks we've done are 
another good example. And I hope we are able to continue that sort of thing. There are other museums that have focused more heavily on digital content in the past and their transition to this sort of new mode has been eased a lot because they already had a lot of things like this going. The Michigan Science Center, for example, has a program called Echo Live that they've been doing for quite some time. And to transition into this remote space, it was very easy. One of their employees basically just took the studio home with them and they continued more or less as normal. So I I think that this has illustrated the importance of this kind of digital uh, content. And I hope that we are able to continue that in some form as we move on. Yeah, we hope so as well. Thank you for coming on back on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Finally, we're going to flip roles. Josh, our audio engineer, who you met earlier, is going to interview Gray and I about our experience with the podcast. Hi, I'm back, everybody. Gray and Jacob, uh, first question is, before the pandemic, what was your experience with and knowledge on podcasts? Well, to be honest, before we started doing this whole project, I obviously knew what a podcast was and knew of some popular ones, but I had not really ever delved into them myself, which of course changed when we decided to take on this project. And part of the research that I did in the genesis of it was listening to a bunch of podcasts to determine exactly what it was I was supposed to be doing, what sort of things get talked about articulation style, just all that sort of stuff. So it's been a real learning curve for me. And now it's opened my eyes quite a bit to everything that goes into podcasts. And I don't know, I guess the benefits that they can serve as well. Yeah, personally, I had a bit more of listening experience with podcasts. I had started listening to podcasts when working at the Rare Book Room at Western Michigan, because we would often have shifts that I had to shelve books for hours on end. And, you know, it was really cool because all the books were really interesting to look at. But I, you know, I needed something uh, to stimulate my brain a little more than just, you know, organizing that room. So I started listening to podcasts. And uh, I mean, I listened to really popular ones like Lore, stuff from the BBC. I remember listening to a podcast about the show Twin Peaks. But um, it was relatively limited, really, in comparison to uh, people who are really dedicated podcast listeners. So this was definitely a learning experience for me. And there was a learning curve. Fortunately, I came with some recording experience in audio. But, you know, like Josh, that was in music. So, uh, again, that was a learning curve in itself. And uh, yeah, it def- I definitely had a background, but uh, it was extremely limited. And I, I grew a lot during this, uh, this process. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's interesting to see how, you know, everybody's coming to this with such a different prior experience with podcasts. What was the hardest part of the podcast process over the last eight months? I mean, I could say, you know, it was really, I could talk about our experiences and troubles with getting it launched, first and foremost. And I could also talk about, you know, just coordinating everything and making sure everything happens. But honestly, on a personal note, the hardest part was just finding my own voice. Early on in the podcast, 
And even until now, I'm still working on finding my voice in a podcast setting as uh, someone who's a moderator, as someone who's a narrator. It's still very difficult for me. And it's something that I have a lot of gratitude for because of the fact that I've uh, grown so much as someone who's a narrator and a moderator compared to where I started, where I would stumble over my words all the time. And now I'm a bit more forthright and a bit more authoritative in how I speak. And I'm constantly learning on finding my voice. And so I think that was definitely for me, the hardest part of the podcast process was uh, just becoming an actual podcaster and being able to uh, vocalize these things that I've come to conclusions about and want to communicate and interpret. And I would say somewhat of the same thing. I mean, of course, we had a great deal of tribulations in getting the podcast launched to begin with, which at times became a little bit frustrating, at other times a little bit demoralizing when it seemed that the podcast didn't have much of a future. But at the end of the day, I would agree with Jacob that the hardest part for me was transforming from someone who knew relatively nothing about podcasts to becoming the host of one. And for that exact reason, becoming comfortable speaking for such a long period of time, being able to organize all of my thoughts and everything I had to say on the matter in an appropriate way, and really just being able to articulate my words the way that I would envision if I were listening to a podcast. Yeah. You know, being on this end of it, I've I've seen such like exponential growth as you guys have like figured out what your voice is and getting comfortable with, you know, being in front of the mic for extended periods of time. I, I can definitely see that growth happening rapidly over the course of the past eight months with every recording session we've had. Now, how has writing and producing a podcast changed your opinion on podcasts? I guess I would just say that it gives me a much better understanding of everything that goes into the production of a podcast. From an outside point of view, it just kind of seems, at least from the surface level in a lot of cases, that it's nothing more than people just sitting around chatting. And in some cases, that's absolutely true, depending on the theme of the podcast. But in this case, It was amazing to me how much research actually has to go into producing something like this and gives me a lot more respect for similar podcasts that clearly have a strong educational commitment and just really goes to show that behind the scenes, there's so much going on that does not meet the eye. Yeah, I would say that too. And also this experience has made me recognize just the different things that a podcast can be. I think before I always thought of podcasts as a narrative sort of thing or like a radio show. So, you know, someone gives a tells a story or something that's uh, very scripted or they just have like an interview and they just talk back and forth. But I feel like this experience exposed me to the ways that a podcast can mutate into uh, different types of audio experiences and even early on uh, doing research on podcasts to conceptualize what our podcast would look like. I remember hearing about podcasts that were, well, here's one example. Uh, There's a podcast that I came across that was basically modeled to be an old radio show from the 50s. And the person talked about alien sightings and abductions and all those sorts of things. And they like reenacted them. And in one of the episodes, I think he even got abducted. I can't even remember exactly what that podcast's name was, but it was just insane. And I went, man, like that's super creative that this is something that someone made a podcast out of. I've heard murder mystery podcasts where it's basically like one of those old audio radio shows 
but instead it's like some Agatha Christie tale. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's another big thing for me is not only just the amount of work that goes into it, but just the different things that a podcast can be. I've, I've learned greatly about that. How has your knowledge of interpretation personally expanded since the advent of the pandemic and the creation of the podcast? Well, I can speak personally to this because I started my job at the museum in interpretation with no experience or knowledge of the field, really. I had given museum tours and tours of the archive that I worked at and done stuff like that, but it really wasn't quite strict interpretive work. Uh, so I didn't really have the foundational knowledge that or experiences that maybe a lot of other people did when going into the pandemic. So the whole podcast was really just me learning about interpretation. I feel like you could even listen to episodes and hear about uh, ways I apply concepts and learn about concepts and learn about uh, different facets of the field. I feel like this whole podcast, if anything, if there's anything to show out of it uh, on a personal level, it uh, demonstrates the things I've learned about interpretation because every episode was a new learning experience about the field. Um, you know, I don't see myself as someone who's an authority on interpretation whatsoever. In fact, I'm the opposite. But in a way, I feel that the podcast has a lot of value because, you know, one of the people making the podcast was not an expert and was someone learning about the field as they were making the content and processing it. And Hopefully my mental processing uh, is something that can help people navigate the field and the varying, the multitude of facets that go into it. It's a very multifaceted profession. So yeah, I feel like I've learned literally everything about interpretation that I know from the podcast and in the pandemic. So I've learned a great deal. Yeah, I feel very similarly because like my experiences with podcasts before we started this project, which were very slim before I started working at the Kalamazoo Valley Museum, I really had no concept of interpretation or what it meant to be an interpreter. And so going forward and everything, I really only looked at interpretation through my own scope, which was being an interpreter at the Kalamazoo Valley Museum. And the podcast has just opened my eyes to how incredibly diverse the field really is, considering we've made seven episodes on different types of interpretation and are moving forward with even more. So it's just gone to show me how many different varieties of interpretation exist in the field and how the interpreters of those different professions navigate the tasks that they have on hand. Yeah, for sure. I think that the great thing about this is that it's opening up discussion and exploration and it's just as much that way for you guys creating it as it can potentially be for the people listening to it. So as individuals who identify with white Anglo culture, what was your experience and approach in talking about histories and cultures of those who you are not a part of? So I think that's a great question. And it's something that's incredibly important to think about when you're ready to have such discussions in a setting such as a podcast. But I guess the approach that I took was making sure that I listened to and tried to understand things that others were saying. Because as a white man, I, of course, cannot claim that I understand the experiences of those of other cultures. And I can't of course, speak on their behalf either. So it's just incredibly important to be empathetic and to try to use those people's words when talking about themselves so that I'm not saying anything controversial or insensitive on their behalf. I would say that I had a similar approach. I definitely tried to emphasize listening and 
trying to take into perspectives of people from those cultures uh, when we address to them. For example, I think to the Japanese internment camps and my research around that was greatly centered around oral histories from the exact Japanese Americans who experienced the terrors of being confined by your own government in a concentration camp due to something that you had absolutely nothing to do with. So I think that was definitely an approach. I think empathy is big to, you know, try to recognize that, especially because a lot of the times we talked about other cultures, we were talking, and not in every case, but a lot of times we were talking about cultural trauma and the traumas of being a part of that culture in an anglicized society. And as someone who is a part of a culture that greatly damaged a lot of other cultures uh, and discriminated against people, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely important to not impose and to be empathetic and to listen and to take into account different voices. And um, I'd also definitely like to address that I don't think either of us necessarily did it perfectly. I don't think there's a perfect way for someone from our background to talk about it. But in the end, uh, these topics were a part of the things we were talking about and we had to address them. And, uh, you know, we did our best to be empathetic of the people who may uh, have lived through these experiences or have relatives who have or ancestors and, um, you know, to just listen and be really critically listening as well. Yeah, it's important to discuss these aspects of history because they're such a huge part of America's past, but they're also extremely sensitive and empathy, like you said, is is absolutely vital and not to take liberties with other people's experiences that we can't even really truly fathom, you know, and, and give them the respect they deserve. Definitely. Well said. Yeah, totally. And like America and um, Europe's past and all of just the globe's past, you know, everyone uh, has seen discrimination across the globe because those sorts of things permeate in certain societies. And definitely it's important to recognize that, especially, you know, as you said, as a group of individuals coming from the United States, which is a country that does have a divisive history of discrimination and pain and inflicting trauma. Yeah, definitely. All right, too. Wrap up with the final question here. How do you guys envision the podcast in the future? Well, I think that you made a really great point earlier, Josh, just talking about how you'd like to see more guests, both in the museum and from outside of the institution, join the podcast. And I, too, think that that's a very exciting prospect. The idea of just so many more people coming together to create something like this. It really has the potential to grow and become a much more solid production with the input and ideas of a much wider spectrum of people. But at the same time, I'm excited at the prospect of the topic of the podcast because Jacob and I have spent the last however many months talking about different forms of interpretation very broadly. And it's not really until now that we're diving into specific case studies. And I think that that's something very interesting that there is great potential for in the future, seeing that as the podcast goes on, there's obviously going to be less and less very broad things to talk about, and it's going to get much more focused on individual case studies, and I look forward to seeing how those develop. Yeah, same here. I think, you know, those case studies and the multifaceted nature of the field of interpretation and everything will also make it possible for the podcast to expand and continue on, you know, after we leave as well, because that's going to happen inevitably. 
Gray and I are in our early 20s. I mean, this is not the end-all, be-all career. And Josh, I know that, um, you know, interpretation's not your profession either, but that doesn't mean that there's this thing's going to end when we go. Uh, we're very much setting up to allow the podcast to continue on when we leave. And um, that's why it's such a collaborative thing and why we've tried to get as many interviews as we can at a distance. You know, this episode is just a showcase of the type of collaboration we're looking for in the future and, you know, the ways we uh, hope it can expand to different types of people uh, inside and outside of the museum. And one final question to sort of round off all of the discussion that we've had today. If you, Jacob, or you, Josh, would care to answer, do you have a favorite episode or topic or more specifically any positive memories of the podcast over the course of the last eight or so months? Well, when it comes to episodes, I think that I had the most fun researching the paranormal episode. I felt that the one about cryptids and ghosts and all those types of uh, topics, you know, really are something I find interesting. And, um, and it was very cool also in that episode, particularly to have Garrett on, who has since left the museum for another job. And uh, that was that was a really cool kind of fun idea to do that folklore quickfire. It was a really fun process and really memorable part of the project. And I think across the board, the most memorable sort of moments were the moments that we got to connect and collaborate and interview. It was great, of course, doing individual research and you know learning about things and then communicating that to audiences and listeners. But at the same time, it's not as uh, wonderful as having different conversations with people and hearing about their experiences and their research and what they know. So I look to Mara and Steve on the Planetarium episode, Wes on the episode about environmentalism. That was a lot of fun. And then, yeah, as mentioned before, Garrett on the paranormal episode. But just because of the topic, probably the paranormal episode was my favorite. Yeah, I'm going to be super lame and piggyback on that because I, I too really enjoyed the paranormal episode a lot. Being a creepy, spooky kid that listens to a lot of death metal and watches horror movies, <laughs> naturally, I'm, I'm going to be drawn to the paranormal episode a lot. It was, it was interesting to hear paranormal topics from a, you know, interpretive uh, historical perspective and kind of integrating those two things together because you know, ghosts and cryptids and stuff like that are a part of our history as well. Um, you know, whether you believe in them as real or not is kind of irrelevant to the fact that they are a part of history. And uh, it's cool anytime you get to have that discussed in that kind of perspective. Experience wise with the podcast, I think for me, like the excitement of like figuring out the process of how to do this was the most fun figuring out like how we're actually going to make it work and writing and recording the theme music and, you know, sketching out ideas for that and coming up with really corny uh, jazz themes that I immediately threw away <laughs> before landing on the one we used. Yeah, actually, that's so funny because we totally forgot to mention the fact that you made the podcast music in this whole episode. Oh, yeah, I guess that never came up. <laughs> I don't know how that went under the rug. Yeah, Josh made the podcast music and in the test process came up with a bunch of ideas, some of which were, yeah, cheesy and it was it was good. I listened to those and would put them over <laughs> the like mock intro or uh, trailer I would make and then be like, hmm, how would this sound? Like that was a lot of fun. <laughs> 
Yeah. I knew it was cheesy going into uh, writing those really corny ones, but uh, I, I figured I'd give them a shot because they, they were very catchy. But um, no, uh, I didn't even think about the fact that uh, that wasn't mentioned already. But yeah, so I wrote and recorded the music for the podcast as well. You know, that technical stuff and, and figuring out how the heck we're going to do this and, um, you know, kind of building that technical structure that, that we are now using to get everything done from this point on has been really, really interesting and fun for me. Great. What about you? Um, personally, in terms of episodes, I had the most fun recording the planetarium episode, not necessarily because of the topic of it, seeing that I don't have a very extensive amount of knowledge on planetariums, nor do I have much experience in them or around them. But I just thought it was so cool that we were able to have both Mara and Steve on as guest speakers. And that combination of like a technician slash technologist who works on the planetarium at the museum and knows more of the technical aspects and then somebody who's a planetarium operator who gives shows and knows more about the public relations aspect of the job. It was just very interesting to get a very well-rounded description of what the planetarium entails at the Kalamazoo Valley Museum. And in terms of special memories regarding the podcast, I guess I would just say listening to each mastered episode after the editing process, because going from researching it and just having a basic outline and then seeing it develop into a fully scripted thing, going through it with Jacob and actually recording it and all of, I shouldn't say all of, but a lot of times we have trouble getting through sentences and all of the redos that we have to do. It's just a really cool thing to see the podcast go from its raw form into a mastered and final edition. So it's definitely been a lot of fun making it this year and it's been a real learning curve. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it'll develop into the future. And that concludes today's episode. Thank you to everyone who stuck through it to the end. Hopefully you got something out of it, and we will be seeing you next time in 2021, where we will talk about the Enola Gay controversy. Until then, stay safe and healthy. Thank you for listening to the Kalamazoo Valley Museum's Interpretive Hour podcast. If you wish to learn more about the episode and topic, please visit kalamazoomuseum.org slash podcast for bibliography, notes, episode transcripts, and other behind-the-scenes content. Due to a COVID-19 stay-at-home order, the museum is currently closed until further notice. Until then, stay safe and healthy, and visit us in January 2021 when we will talk about the Enola Gay exhibit controversy.